Thank you, Brother John. And that verse right there, verse 19, and I think it's great. Technology worked this morning. We have several people joining us live this morning, and uh, I'm so glad each of you are watching. Four people watching in this morning. God bless each of you watching in, and uh, that's a record for a few weeks. Uh, so that's great. And uh, this morning, we look at our text. I said, I'm going to start preaching early because live stream tends to mess up halfway through the feed. So let's preach early so people at least get the message, and uh, then we'll have the singing at the end. It looks in, look at verse 19. The Bible says, Behold, I will do a, what does God say? A new thing. A new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Ye shall not know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Would you join together in prayer with me this morning? Father, would you take your word, would you help us today to internalize it into our hearts? Lord, I pray that you would use this truth from Isaiah. We think of the the promise that you have made to your people Israel. How you're going to bless them and how you're going to make streams in the desert. How you're going to pour out your spirit in a special way. How you're going to do a new thing for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe you to do a new thing for us in our lives. You would help us to walk in a close way with Jesus Christ. Lord, that there would be a a spirit of revival, a spirit of anticipation as we are excited, as we are waiting, as we are believing you to pour out your spirit in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would do that today. And we ask that you would be with your word and that you would help us, Lord, to have open hearts to your word. And Lord, may hide me behind the cross. May Jesus be front and center, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Isaiah is a wonderful, wonderful book. And the prophet Isaiah, used by God with a humble heart, a humble spirit. I love what he says in Isaiah 6 and how his attitude and his heart towards the Lord. Woe is me, for I am unclean. Isaiah had an attitude of contrition before God. God used him in a great way. He had an attitude of, Lord, I am nothing, you're everything. And God poured out his spirit in a tremendous way upon Isaiah. In chapter 43, we really are reading promises that God has written to the nation of Israel. Promises about how he is going to redeem them. We're reading, if you could say, somebody else's mail. You ever get a letter that's mailed to you? It comes to your address... You open it up, and it's addressed to somebody else. It shows up at your home, but it's got somebody else's name on it. And what we're reading today is a portion of Scripture that was written directly as a promise of God to the nation of Israel. Verse 1 of chapter 43. But now, thus saith the Lord, that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art Mine. I love verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He goes on in verse 15 and says, as Brother John read a moment ago, I am the Lord your Holy One, the Creator of Israel. Your king. It is by the mercy of God the nation of Israel still is in existence today. Think about it. God has allowed that nation to return to their land. God has protected and watched over them. And we read on the end, in Revelation of how in the end times that they're going to be 
uh, people that God is going to raise up in the nation of Israel, prophets he's going to send. There's also the 144,000 Jewish males uh, that are virgins that God's going to seal, 12,000 out of every tribe. You say, how is that going to happen? God has done everything else that's full within his power to do. We read of so many things that are going to happen in the future and promises for the nation of Israel. But right here in this passage is a truth that I believe God wants to impress upon our hearts today. And it's a, really a desire that we need to have in our hearts. Lord, do a new thing. Lord, do a new thing. I am tired of crusty religion, and you, you know that. Uh, I don't like crusty religion. Uh, personally, I don't like things to be dry and boring and dull. Okay, And we get into habits sometimes, uh, the longer we've been saved, uh, where things can kind of become just rote, just routine, and we can go on for years without really sensing that God has done a new thing and brought about a revival in our hearts. I love what he says, that it will spring forth. He says, shall ye not know it? I will even make, he says, a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's a virtual impossibility. You don't expect to go to the desert and find a big river. It's called a desert for a reason. Because it's dry. And God is saying, I want to bring fresh water in. You know what? Our life might be a little dry today. To be honest, it gets a little dry over time. To be honest, things get dried out. And God wants to do a new thing in our hearts by way of application to this passage this morning, he wants to do a new thing. He wants to pour out his spirit, and he wants to use us in a mighty way. We ought to let the word enter our hearts so that it is beginning to change the way we think. Would you think back with me? When was the last time you experienced a big change of mind, a fresh perspective about the things of God? When was the last time you experienced a big change of mind, a fresh perspective? Now, for some of you who are in vehicle enthusiasts like me, you were maybe very excited when this year Ford released a vehicle that they had removed from the market for years. And what vehicle was that? Does anybody know? The Bronco. The Ford Bronco. And they didn't just release a basic model, right? They released the lifted version Stock from the factory with big tires and all this cool stuff. Starting price, $35,000. And this thing was such a, uh, it was such a, uh, it hit the market so fast with a video right in the middle of the quarantine. It was, it was a very intelligent move on their part as Ford recognized all the people were at home. And they, they went ahead and pushed the video to everybody. And they have sold out of several of those models of that vehicle. They've pre-sold all of those, some of those models. Um, people are just waiting with anticipation. People couldn't wait to spend their money. And they're waiting with anticipation for that new Bronco to show up at their door. And see, people get excited about new things. People get excited about new things. It had been many years since Ford had built a Bronco. And look, new cars are great, but they're going to rust and decay. But God's word will not change. His word will last forever. When was the last time a truth changed something in your life? A truth changed something in your life. Dr. Tony Evans tells the following story of how one time he was flying from Atlanta back to Dallas and he had to catch a flight. The flight was number 74. But there's this famous place with soul food. It's called Pascal's. This place is famous for its fried chicken. Pascal's has many booths in the Atlanta airport, so he was there waiting for his flight, and the smell of the, the chicken was calling his name. 
he went over and ordered two thighs and a biscuit. And just as he sat down to eat his chicken, he heard the last call for his flight. Flight number 74 to Dallas, last call. He was on the horns of a dilemma. Piping hot chicken was calling his name, but flight number 74 was calling his name. He had to make a choice. And he said he decided to take his chicken on the flight. See, God is not saying to give up the chicken of religion. He is saying don't miss the flight of your first love. Don't give up or don't let what you do for God get in the way of your relationship with God. And too often we're so focused on the chicken that we miss the flight of the first love and we miss staying in love with Jesus Christ and we, yes, have the bones of, of roach religion, but we do not have the deep relationship of first love. And God wants to do a new thing and return us back to that place of a first love with God. God will do anything to get us to a place where He is the focus of our life. He wants to do a new thing that brings about lasting change. And change comes this morning now in several ways. And first this morning, I want you to see that change comes... When somebody recognizes we've offended God. Change comes when somebody recognizes we've offended God. I want you to notice another text in your Bible. We see right here, behold, I will do a new thing. There's another text where Moses asked God to do a new thing. It's Numbers chapter 16. It's quite a different text, but it's a new thing. And I want to draw the analogy this morning between these two texts. And bring out the principle that God does desire to do new things to get our attention. And if you'll notice, Numbers chapter 16, verse 28, the Bible says in Numbers 16, Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. I love that. Moses says, Hey guys, I just want you to notice, all these miracles you've seen, they weren't of my own mind. That's so crucial. It's so key. Hey, they weren't things I dreamed up. They were things that were of God. And he said, verse 29, If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. That's a very bold statement. But if the Lord make a, look at this phrase, a new thing. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up with all that appertained to them. And they go down quick into the pit. Then shall ye understand that these men have, would you read the next phrase together with me? Provoked the Lord. Moses said the problem here is not me. The problem here is that we have violated God. The problem here, Moses says, is we have provoked God to anger. Do you believe God gets angry? The Bible says clearly God's angry with the wicked every day. Every day. We live in a day in which there's so much teaching of self-love and so much teaching of self-acceptance and so much focus on self that we miss Christ and is falling in love with Jesus and obeying Him. We're so focused on self. And change comes when somebody recognizes we've offended God. We've offended the Almighty God. Moses recognized, he said, this is the reason why Moses asked for God to do a new thing, was because Moses said, you have offended, you've provoked the Lord. These men, the sons of Korah, 
had provoked God. And God was going to do just like we saw when that earthquake happened over on the west coast. And we saw the ground opened up and vehicles were bridged between that. We saw that just last year. And wow, you look at that. And when I look at an earthquake opening the ground up and homes falling down inside, this Bible text comes to my mind. The Lord doing a new thing. The Lord sending judgment. The Lord causing people to fall into the earth. In this text, these men, it says, it came in verse 31, it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them, the sons of Korah. The earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained unto them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Wow. What changed? The ones who had rejected God were instantly removed from the people of God. Instantly removed. Can you imagine the ground opening up underneath us all standing outside and God taking out those who had rebelled against God? That sure would change my walk with God, wouldn't it change yours? You literally watch people that you know and love and care about. The sons of Korah were part of the nation of Israel. They were their friends. But the sons of Korah, all of a sudden, hey, the rest of you people get away from them. And Moses is speaking, and some people I'm sure were kind of heckling a little bit, going, ha, really? The ground's going to open up? I'm sure there were some unbelieving people in that congregation. But Moses believed God... And change came about when somebody recognized that the offense was against God. The offense was against God. And when we recognize that we've offended God, it changes the way in which we live. And God manifested his presence. The earth splits asunder. All these guys go down whole into the, into the pit, the Bible says. Right into hell. The ground shuts back up. A miracle. An absolute miracle. I tell you. If you experience that miracle, you think, man, they walk with God. We know the people of God continue to wander from God. They continue to rebel against God, sadly. But you know what? In that passage, they saw an encounter with God. And change will come about in our lives when we see and recognize God for who he is and how holy he is. If the Lord make a new thing. I believe God wants to make a new thing. I believe God wants to switch up our rhythm and our uh, rote religion. And he wants to bring about a strong faith. The wars of religion began in France back in 1562 between the Roman Catholics and the Huguenots. The Huguenots were led by a family of Henry Navarre. Henry had inherited the throne of Navarre from his mother. And when his cousin, King Henry III of France, died in 1589, he became heir to the throne of France. His faith made him unacceptable, an unacceptable candidate in the Catholic France until he embraced Catholicism in 1593. He was then crowned Henry IV. Once he became king, however, he did not forget his Huguenot roots. He, in 1598, issued the Edict of Nantes. This agreement gave the Huguenots freedom of religion in certain areas of the country. It gave them civil equality and fair administration of justice. It provided the Huguenots with a state subsidy for their troops and pastors, and it allowed them to retain control of approximately 200 towns. The Edict of Nantes was historically unique in that it was the first time freedom was granted for two religions to coexist in a nation. 
for a period of about 100 years, the nation, was, the nation of France was blessed by this Edict of Nantes. But however, in the late 1600s, Henry's grandson, King Louis the Great, was king of France. Louis shared none of his grandfather's empathy towards the Huguenots. And on October 18th of 1685, he revoked the Edict of Nantes, and all Huguenot worship and education was forbidden. All the Huguenot churches were destroyed or turned into Catholic churches. The pastors were given 14 days to evacuate the country, and anyone who remained in the country was forced to be baptized into the Catholic church. The, the, uh, the, they were uh, all children wishing to, uh, wish, living in France were to be baptized by the Catholic priest. They were to be raised as Catholics. Mounted soldiers were housed in the homes of the Huguenots. These troops were given license to do anything that they wanted to do except murdering these people. They forced their hosts to dance until they collapsed. They poured boiling water down their throats. They continued. They beat the soles of their feet. They pulled the hair from their beards. The soldiers used candles to burn the arms and legs of the Huguenots. Hosts. The hosts in the homes in which they were staying. They made them hold red hot coals in their hands. They forced the women to stand naked in the streets. And some 400,000 converts were forced to attend Mass and to receive the Eucharist. But if they left Mass and spat out the Eucharist, they were then, if they, once they stepped outside, if they spat out the Eucharist, they were then forced to, uh, and sentenced to be burned alive, simply for the act of spitting out the Eucharist. They were imprisoned in dungeons and unheated cells. Of the 1.5 million Huguenots living in France in 1660, over the next few decades, 400,000 escaped the country. Geneva, a city of 16,000 people, welcomed 4,000 of them. An entire quarter of London was soon populated with the Huguenots. Holland welcomed thousands and gave them citizenship. And at the height of the Reformation, nearly half of the population of France was Huguenot. But as a result of the persecution, if you do research today, less than 3% of the French share the faith of the Huguenots. Less than 3% of that country is now, which you would say, believing in Christ as the only way to heaven. Not trusting in Mary, not trusting in someone else, trusting in Jesus alone. When you read of this, I tell you, it kind of confronts our popular view of church today. Because the view is, well, we're all the same. We all believe the same thing. No, we don't. Um, I remember speaking with some, some fine folks in the prison. They were Catholics. And they were people who volunteered as well. We were all in there one night together. And they were having a special Catholic event. And I was chatting with these people. And they said, well, you know what? We're all the same. I'm thinking, you burned my forefathers. Your, your faith burned my forefathers simply because they believed in Jesus Christ alone and not Mary. We're all the same. I, I beg to differ. I didn't argue with them, okay? Uh, uh, because they're convinced that we're all the same. And when we today we say, well, just all churches are the same. We're all the. We're not all the same. Uh, some have held to what the beliefs of the Bible by faith in Christ alone. Others have added things to grace. And it needs to be very clear that we understand there are differences in faith today. And change comes when somebody recognizes those differences offend the Almighty God. God sent judgment to France. France now 
is a mission field. And you know what? America, we're doing the exact same thing. You say, isn't it great in America? We have all these churches everywhere. Yes, you, you, see, you read history. And you look at what's happening today. We're not too far away. We're not too far away. They were just, it was one edict. It was one good king. So what can one bad king do? And my friend, if somebody doesn't recognize we've offended the Almighty God by our complacency, our indifference, um, America is becoming more of a mission field every day. Somebody needs to recognize God has been offended. I tell you, God is offended by the laziness of Christianity today. Christianity today is just really relaxed, really lazy. Uh, it, is, it amazes me today the commitment of the souls of people. Somebody will one day, they'll tell me on a Monday, they'll say, I want to join the church. By Saturday, they'll be deciding, I don't want anything to do with God anymore. I mean, that's the, that is the state of Christianity today. Somebody will get on fire for God and say, you know what, uh, I want to follow God. And within less than 10 days, I'm not even sure if I want to commit and it's not because I said anything that offended them, my friend. It's just because the heart is so weak. The heart is so weak that it wanders from the Almighty God. Instead of following the doctrine of the Word of God, we follow the personalities of men and the trending programs of popular churches. God, help us. You look back to these days. These believers had hot boiling water poured down their throat, my friend. I don't think they were thinking about, I wonder if my church is going to have a nursery tomorrow. I don't think they were thinking about, I wonder if my church is going to have a youth group or some sort of party or some sort of this. You know what I think they were thinking about? The faith in the only Son of God. And they died for their faith. They were tortured for their faith. I think we don't understand how easy we have it today. Lord, do a new thing. Lord, help us to recognize that we've offended God. Now, what had happened with the sons of Korah, we're going to see now. Uh, secondly, this morning, change comes when somebody believes God's way is best. Change comes when we recognize we've offended God. And see, when we recognize we've provoked the Lord, you say, what did they do to provoke God? They contradicted God, God's ways. Change comes... When somebody believes God's way is best. In our text, it was Moses. Verse 1 of our text, number 16, it says, Now Korah, the son of Issachar. By the way, don't name your son Korah, right? I don't want to name any, any children after these names, okay? It says, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. So he's related to Moses. He's the son of Levi. And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, and the sons of Reuben, took men. And rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Now notice who they gathered together. They're smart. They gathered the famous people. Let's see if we can get the famous preachers to agree with us. Haven't you noticed today? They like to get on news. They like to get somebody that's a famous preacher saying something against Christianity. And they'll get them on and they'll let them speak. Why? Because they're famous. Like good old Joel. They got him on. They'll get him to say something. They'll get him to say something 
really against the faith of God. Why? Get the famous preachers to line up with us. Okay, they got the famous men of the congregation. Men of renown, the Bible says. Verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore lift ye up yourselves above the congregation? Let me ask you a question. Did Moses lift himself up above the congregation? I mean, Moses is the guy who's out in the desert. God, you've called me? Uh Uh-uh. I think you got the wrong guy. Get my brother. Moses is the man that every time the congregation rebels against him, he's on his face begging God to not kill them. And yet these sons of Korah have the audacity to say this about Moses. A man who has interceded. The very fact that they're alive is testament to the faith of this man, Moses. And uh, it says, Wherefore lift ye up yourselves above the congregation? Hey, Moses, you've made yourself famous. Moses, you've tried to be somebody you're not. And look at what Moses did. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. And will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. Moses made it very clear that God was going to put his ordained leadership in the right place at the right time. And that these sons of Korah were going to be identified and God was going to put judgment upon them. Now he goes on and they burn strange, they burn the fire before the Lord and God sent judgment upon them, which we read in verse 31, when the ground opened up. See, Moses let God's presence come in and God's presence cleared, the, cleared out the fog. And change comes when somebody believes God's way is best. They questioned God's leadership. Now look, Moses was not perfect. There is never a perfect... But they, they were questioning the person God had put there. It happened to be Moses and Aaron at that time. I love Moses' response of humility. He was the meekest man. Hmm. But his, his response was, you know what? You question leadership, why don't you come in and why don't you seek God? Why don't you come in and why don't you seek God? You know, whenever somebody starts to question leadership, you know what they do? They don't want to seek God. They don't want to seek God. Uh, They they don't want to come near the presence of God because they're afraid of what might happen. Change comes when somebody believes God's way is best. Look, we live in a fact-checking world, and as Christians, we tend to question what uh, we, what God says, and we tend to put questions up about the Bible, and uh, we're, we're, we have more unbelief sometimes than we do faith about what God says. Isn't it interesting how we can question, as Christians, something that God says in His Word, like Hebrews 10, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We can question that truth and reason it away today. But yet, when the government comes out and throws some new law, like, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that in regards to the house of faith, Christians hop right on board and say, well, the government said it, so they must be right. 
And Christians are sitting here over on the sidelines, sadly, sometimes, kind of praising it on. Yep, well, it's, it's all good. The government said it. It's all good. And then looking at the text of the Word of God, we tend to question what the Word of God says. Change comes when somebody believes God's way is best, what the Lord says is best. The sons of Korah were troublemakers instead of supporting the work of God. They challenged the appointed leadership. They were finding reasons to pick. And they found popular people to support their views. They set out to destroy the work of God. But I thank God that truth marches on. And change comes when somebody believes God's way is best. Lord, we recognize Moses is not the most perfect leader that's ever lived. Only Jesus is perfect. But Moses is the man of God appointed for this task. And we're going to respect him. I'll tell you, the congregation was a whole lot more ready to follow Moses after they saw Moses pray, the ground opens, and all those who were against Moses go, they die. Now look, we don't want people to just disappear like that and Lord to put judgment upon them. The prayer is that, that we would all live a life of humility before God. And look, I've struggled sometimes as a church member following my pastor. I have, okay? First to testify. Um, the change comes when somebody believes, you know what, Lord, you've put this leader here. This leader's got problems. But you know what? i got problems too. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow the way of God. And if somebody wants to see souls saved, I'm just going to follow that. I'm going to try to support that. Uh, change comes when somebody believes God's way is best. God's way is best. I love what the Lord said in verse 5 through, through Moses. He spake unto Korah. To all his company, saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. The Bible tells us that I will that men everywhere lift up holy hands without wrath. That men have an attitude of humility, but also that they have a, a spirit of dedication, lifting up their hands to God, recognizing God is the source of their authority. And I believe that uh, as a Christian, there's nothing wrong with lifting up your hand. All right, there are those who lift up their hands and do this number, okay? And, okay, just kind of dancing around for Jesus. And we're not of that type, but there's, there's nothing wrong. We ought, to, we, ought to get into our we ought to get a little bit more comfortable with following biblical practice of every once in a while. You know what? Lord, you're speaking to me. And having a, a lifted hand to God, a holy hand to God. An attitude of reverence, an attitude of respect. Lord, I've cleansed my heart. And Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, would you speak to me? Would you pour out your spirit upon me? Great, it's great to let our body move. We get so rigid. We get into such a rigid mood that we, we almost feel nervous if somebody was to lift their hand or have an outstretched hand in prayer to God. We almost view that as if it was sin. And we look in the, in, throughout the text of the Bible, you see people did both of those things. They put their hands out like this when they prayed sometimes, and they lifted their hands when they prayed sometimes. And so there's nothing wrong with doing either one of those, and we shouldn't look at that as sin. Instead, but we shouldn't, as a Christian, do that simply for attention. Okay, that's the danger. We do that for attention, and that does sometimes become a trend in churches. We don't want that to happen. But at the same time, we want to be, don't want to be so rigid that we can't do it. We can't invite the Lord into our life and physically lift our hands to God. It ought to be something that we do in our private life, in our prayer closet, and it ought to be something we do when we worship the Lord. Change comes when somebody believes God's way is best. 
Change comes when somebody recognizes we've offended God. Thirdly, this morning, change comes when God's presence is manifested. If you look back in Isaiah 43, where we started, Isaiah 43. You see in our text over there in Numbers, it's a rather scary thought to think that God literally took these people off the scene. They're gone. I believe God wants to do things where he literally, he wakes us up. He wakes us up to the need for God. And I want to encourage each of us, let's have an attitude of, you know what, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Lord, I'm going to have faith believing in you because, Lord, I don't want to be the obstacle that holds back the work of God where you have to take me out because I am standing in the way of the progress God wants to bring. Change comes when God's presence is manifested. Look in Isaiah 43, look in verse 18. I want you to notice the phrase of the verse. Remember ye... What's the next word? Not. Aren't we good at remembering some things? If I asked you to tell me your favorite story, uh, I, I know a lot of your favorite stories, okay? And we, we, if it's our favorite story, we tell it a lot, okay? And if you, you know some of my favorite stories, because I probably told them a lot. You've heard them a lot in sermons, okay? Uh, remember ye not the former things. Neither consider the things of old. We'll be honest. Too much of our time is spent thinking about the past. We may think about what happened maybe in this place. We may think about what happened in some other place. We may think about what happened in our life. And we're constantly thinking about the past And every time a conversation comes up, we bring back the same past situation. We've never grown up and grown out of that situation. We're still living right there. And everything relates to that. That's the center of our life, the past. And so we live, and everything in the future we view from the past, and it's very hard to move forward as, as a believer in our faith when we have really got so focused on this former thing that we can't see the new thing. We got so held up on this former thing that we can't talk about something new. Anytime something new comes up, some new idea, we have to bring back up this old idea. Because when we beat the old horse to death, instead of recognizing maybe God's brought a new horse, okay? Maybe God wants us to do something in a different way. God wants to open our eyes to see things in a different way. Change comes when God's presence is manifested. And today God's presence wants to be manifested in our life. He wants to manifest himself in our congregation. And I believe he wants to pour out his spirit. Behold, I will do, verse 19 says, a new thing. The new thing happens when verse 18 is followed in our life. When we remember not the former things. We all have good memories of church, right? We all have good memories of something from the past. But that nostalgic memory can actually sometimes hold us up from the present. Like, for example, if I judge everything in my life based upon the past, I could be extremely discouraged right now. Okay? I remember a summer when I helped start a church. I remember driving back from California. I was very excited about it. Drove back. And something happened that summer in three months of my life that's never happened from that day forward. Okay? That summer, I invited people to church and 44 people showed up that I personally invited. In one summer, 
44 people walked in the doors. The place we started with just the preacher's family and me. That was it. I remember the first two visitors that came. We had to go pick those girls up. They were 14 and 16. And you know what? Uh, the preacher and I went with his family, went to go pick those people up, brought them in, those two girls. You know what? They were the first two that got saved in church. One got saved. Another one got saved later on that summer. The older one got saved later. And I remember the joy of seeing those people get saved. But you know what? If I judge my life based upon those people, and everything I do is evaluated upon that one summer, I'm going to be living in the past. Okay? You can't recreate that. There were several situations that made that happen in the way it did. Uh, the preacher had all teenagers in his family. Which, you know what? If you have teenagers in your family as the preacher, guess what you attract? Teenagers, okay? Um, he attracted a lot of young people in the church because he had young people in his family. There are certain things that brought people in. Things that you can't recreate in every situation, okay? So if you judge the future upon the past, you get stuck. I look at that as a good memory, but I can't evaluate the present situation based upon that. This is COVID-19 times, okay? These are times that no other, uh, really in, in recorded history in the United States, we've never, no other, no other time period have we experienced the same trials, the same situations we are experiencing right now as churches, okay? We just haven't experienced it. And we can't relate a past experience that happened 20 years ago to this present experience and compare it to the same, okay? Because it's not equivalent. It's not the same, all right? And nothing is the same about it. Uh, in, in past times, you say, well, maybe there was a past time where church shrunk down, okay? It's happened, okay? But those past times, the government was not saying, the news was not blasting every day, you shouldn't go to, do, you couldn't go to any groups, you shouldn't go to church, you shouldn't walk inside a building, church is the only place you're going to get the virus, okay? They weren't saying that back then. In those other situations, it wasn't the same. This situation is completely different. It's literally every news media outlet that's major has been pushing against the church. Every single one of them. This is universal pressure worldwide against the church. It's completely different than past situations. And if we keep evaluating our present situation based upon the past situation, we're going to be very discouraged. And we're going to tend to make same assumptions we may make about past things that happened. See, change comes when God's presence is manifested. And God wants to manifest himself right now. But he says, would you stop remembering those former things? Would you remember not, he says, the former things? Neither consider the things of old. Every preacher understands right now. Most of them are beginning to understand. We're going to have to start everything all over again. So just get ready. You've got to start all over again. You've got to restart Everything's got to start all over again. Uh, if you didn't have solid families in your church before this thing hit, uh, it's very difficult to retain solid families when this thing is over. It's just the reality of things. You have to start all over again. And see, right now God wants to do a new thing. God wants to commit people, help people to be say, you know, I'm going to be committed to Jesus. I'm going to be committed to his word. I'm going to be committed to worshiping him. Change comes when God's presence is manifested. Remember ye not the former things. See, past encounters, and I want you to remember this phrase today. Past encounters with God do not guarantee present victories with God. Past encounters with God do not guarantee present victories with God. The past encounter. I cannot evaluate my life 
based upon an experience I had when I was 14 years old out in the woods at a Christian camp. Okay? I can't evaluate my present walk with God based upon that experience. If I judge everything based upon an emotion that I had in a different time period, an experience I felt in a different time period, it's a poor evaluator. So remember not the former things. Past encounters with God do not guarantee present victories. God is waiting to show up and manifest His presence in our midst. In Revelation chapter 3, we read in verse 14 that He is literally standing at the door. I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit. Just say, how is He going to do it? Look at Revelation 3 as we wrap it up this morning. Revelation chapter 3 in verse 14. Revelation 3 in verse 14. The Bible tells us what God's promised He will do. It says, I believe this is speaking of the end times. This is speaking of the church of Laodicea. I believe that's the church age in which we are in right now. The angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and love yourself. What does he say? Repent. Man, that goes against our theology today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says to his church. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I believe Jesus wants to fellowship with his church in greater ways than ever before, but he's standing outside the church today in many cases. You say, uh, how do we invite him in? Is he going to physically appear right here? We invite him into our hearts. We invite his presence into our lives. We let the Lord fill our home. We let the Lord work in our, in our community. We let the Lord enter into our worship. And he identifies in this church this final stage, which is, I believe, where we're at today, that it's neither hot nor cold. It's kind of this half commitment to Jesus as Jesus described, no man can serve two masters. We're serving two masters. We're serving, yeah, I like Jesus, but you know what? Jesus says it's okay, and we explain away everything in Christianity today about the way as Christians that we act sometimes. We explain it away as well. We live in the age of grace, and you know, uh, you just need to be understanding. We do need to be understanding, but at the same time, truth is truth. And the Lord loves us, and the Lord is standing outside of the door, and He says, I want to fellowship with you. He says, repent. Repent so I can come and fellowship with you. He says, I'm going to send chastening to you. I'm going to send trouble to you to bring you back to myself. When I call someone who has forsaken the Lord, when I visit people who I know are departed from faith, I enjoy meeting with them for one reason. I want to, and I've been praying that they'll come back to the Lord. And so when I meet with them, it's 
How are you? How are you doing? Often, though, I hear something and it troubles me very much. They tell me that everything is fine. They tell me their job is going great. Their family's doing great. Everything is perfect and everything is well. And I don't mind when things go well for people. I want things to go well for you, but if you're running from the Almighty God, I hope things stop going well for you for a while until you get back on track. Uh, that's what I would want you to pray for me, that if I wander from the faith, that things would not go well until I got back on track. And so, it, sometimes it discourages me a little bit, because I'll, I'll be meeting with somebody, fellowship with them a little bit, trying to, trying to encourage them in things of God. and They've departed from the Lord, and I'll say, how are you? And, oh, everything's great. Everything's good. Everything's fine. But I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to talk about church. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Jesus. I haven't been reading my Bible. Uh, uh, I don't ever witness anybody, but you know what? I love God. Who are we deceiving? Lord, I don't love your word. I don't love your people. I don't love your prophets, but Lord, I love you. He's going to say what? Depart from me, I never knew you. If that's our attitude to God, right? Lord, I don't love your people. I don't love your word. But Lord, I want to tell myself that I love you. He's saying, you know what? I stand at the door and knock. I want you to invite me back into your life so that I can do a new thing in your life today. We are, we are in the end times. And Jesus has been left outside of his church, replaced by other things. Somebody needs to recognize we've offended the almighty God. Change comes... When God's presence is manifested. And that's one thing that I, would, I desire the Lord would do. Lord, would you just reveal your presence in our life. Lord, this week, would you take in everybody in this room that we get in the Word and we'd find something in the Word that speak to our heart. Go, wow, I never saw that before. I hope that happened to you this week. If it didn't, would you pray that it does? Would you read the Word until it burns in your heart? I want something from God's word to speak to me. I want the Lord to do a new thing in my heart. I don't want to just become an old, worn out person of faith. I know all the facts, but there is no vibrancy. May God help us to have the fresh power and anointing of God upon our lives. That the people around us would say, man, you know what? You're excited about something. What's going on in your life? Oh, you know what? God met with me this week. They go, they think you're crazy, okay? They think you 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 half crazy. What's wrong with you? I have a relationship with the living God. Jesus is, is real to me. You say, well, I, you're crazy. They ought to think we're half crazy, okay? If they don't see some of Jesus in us, then what are they? What are we inviting them to? Why come put your faith in Jesus Christ if there's no difference? If he doesn't change our desires, if he doesn't change our conversation, if he doesn't change our lifestyle, why put our faith in Jesus Christ? The truth of the matter is, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And as a believer, you've been saved a long time. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he begins transforming. But if we're not careful... We can start being like the church in Revelation, neither hot nor cold. And in our personal walk with God, we've got the form of religion, but there's no vibrancy. There's no fresh oil. There's no fresh energy. There's no fresh life. And the Lord wants to put fresh growth in your life this week. The Lord wants to help us to stop remembering the old things. Remember ye not the former things. 
Quit talking about the past and let's believe God right now to do something. I love it when testimony time comes around and somebody says, you know what? Uh, God spoke to me two weeks ago and there was this truth. It was in a sermon. It was in a message. It was something I heard. And God used a truth from the word to transform my life. Man, it's great. But when a testimony time comes around, if there's nothing new God's been doing in our life right now, we need to ask ourselves a question. What's going on? What's going on? Am I listening? The word of God was declared. The word of God was preached. Did it go right out? Am I still am I thinking about the former things, the entire message, and I'm missing the message? I'm missing the present because I'm so focused on the past. May God help us to not live in the past, but to believe God that his way is best. To believe God that, you know, Lord, there's some areas in which we've offended you. And Lord, would you invite, we invite your presence back. Would you come back? And would you pour out your spirit upon us? That the mountains may quake at your presence. I believe God wants to pour out his spirit. And this morning we're going to ask him to do that. Let's stand for prayer. Let's ask the Lord to meet with us. And then we're going to sing a few songs of worship to the Lord. From our heart of praise to him. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Right there in your seat and your heart to the Lord. Take a moment. Father, I pray that you'd settle upon our hearts today. That you would help us. You would help us to cleanse our hearts as the text says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And that, Lord, you'd show us where we're double-minded, where, where our faith is mixed up. Lord, where there's unbelief in our heart, we're, we're doubting. And, Lord, maybe where we've been thinking about so much about the past that we can't enjoy the present right now. And we can't believe you to work right now. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes off the past and to remember not the former things. And to believe you to do a new thing in our lives today. We invite your presence into this place. We ask you to meet with us in a special way. I'm going to ask you right there with your head bowed, if you take a moment to join with me in prayer and a prayer of recommitment to Christ. Maybe right there where you're at, you would join with me and you would just say, you know what, I want these things to be true in my life and I'm going to ask the Lord to cleanse me and work in my life. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. I'll pray a phrase and I'll invite you to repeat to pray with me if that's something you would like to pray to the Lord this morning. Father, would you cleanse my heart? Lord, would you show me any unconfessed sin? Lord, show me where I've been focused on the past. Help me to believe you for a new thing. I'll let the piano play for just a moment. And I want to encourage you, right where you're at, to just recommit yourself to the Lord in a moment of prayer, just quietly. Would you talk to the Lord? Would you ask the Lord to minister to you? whatever he spoke to you about before we sing.